Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues... June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey folks, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from the earlier years of the podcast. And this week we have Funny Stuff Number two, we love these new compilations we're putting together of just stuff from the lighter side. Nothing but laughs in these funny stuff episodes. It makes them the perfect thing to share with newcomers, people who are not familiar with risk because, you know, it's kind of a, a gateway drug. <laughs> these and the best of risk episodes. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Kitty Haley, a story that she shared in 2013 when Risk was doing a show in Philadelphia. But before that, 
a story by Morgan Jones Phillips that he shared when Risk first visited Toronto in 2016. Now, there's a little blood in the in this story, I should say, but funny blood. <laughs> Here's Morgan Jones Phillips now with a story we call Say Goodbye to My Little Friend. So I have been a paramedic uh, here in the city of Toronto for 13 years. I'm actually a field training officer, which means that I train uh, college students and I also train new paramedics and help them adjust to the job. And I like doing that because when I was new, I was not very good at the job. When I was new, I was very, very nervous. I was shy, I was insecure, I had very little confidence in my skills or in myself, and I really had a hard time building that up. So of course, this story happened when I was new. So this is like 13 years ago, and it's a night shift, and I am in a Chinese restaurant ordering some food when my pager goes off. And I look at my pager and it says, Bravo hemorrhage. Now a Bravo is what we call a medium low priority call. So it's not a lights and sirens type of response. And hemorrhage, someone is bleeding somewhere. <laughs> but they're bleeding somewhere that is a non-life-threatening low priority place. Now this, um, this doesn't leave this room. <laughs> but on occasion, if I've already ordered my food <laughs> and I get a medium low priority call, I might wait for it to be ready. So I'm waiting for my food when I get an update. And the update comes across my pager and it says, male 37, feeling bored, cut off own penis and flushed it down toilet. Two things went through my mind at that moment. The first was, fuck my food, I gotta go. The second was I was thinking back to college and I was imagining in school when we would do scenarios where we would simulate emergencies and we would prepare for our life on the road and we would do car accidents where someone broke an arm or needed spinal immobilization or was having a heart attack and had to be defibrillated or had anaphylaxis and was eating a Snickers bar. We never <laughs> did someone cutting off their own penis. So I ran out to the truck and my partner, Brian, Brian's been on longer than me, as I said, I was new. Brian's been on for a while. Brian's a cool guy, totally relaxed together. He's sitting behind the wheel and I run up to him and I jump into the passenger seat and I say, did you see the call that we have? 
And he says, yeah, 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 I saw a Bravo hemorrhage, whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Did you see the details on this call? And he says, I didn't bother looking. I pull up my pager. Male 37, feeling bored, cut off own penis and flushed down toilets. And he reacted in a way that I didn't expect. He starts pounding on the steering wheel and saying, why, why, why? Why do I do all the penis calls? Because what I didn't know is that this was his first day back from stress leave <laughs> from doing another call. He got a call for a man acting peculiar in an alley. We'll call this man Mr. Tinfoil Hat. So he, his partner of that day, Chris, and a cop walk into the alley to see Mr. Tinfoil Hat, and there he is, and he's like, the, the aliens, the aliens are coming to get me. The, the, the aliens, you, you gotta help me. The aliens are coming to get me. And Brian's cool. Brian's relaxed. Brian's like, that's, that's cool, brother. I'll take care of you. Don't you worry. Come to my ambulance. We'll talk about this. I'll take care of those aliens. Don't you worry. I'll protect you. It's cool. And the guy says, no, 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 you, you don't understand. The, the aliens are coming to get me. They're, they're coming to get me. I got to get rid of the tracking device. I got to get rid of the tracking device. And he pulls, stay with me here. Let's all be Zen and be in the moment here. <laughs> he pulls down his sweatpants, takes a broken light bulb, slices open his scrotum, and his testicle falls to the ground. So Chris, Chris and the cop jump on the guy. And my partner Brian rolls up the testicle and takes the guy to the hospital. This is his first day back, getting back in the saddle as it were, doing the job. Now you may be saying to yourself, oh, Penis testicle calls must be so rare on the job. After that call, any truck he was on, we would call the unit unit. <laughs> now I did another call years later, which is another way of saying a couple years ago. And we did a call for a guy who, for medical reasons, and I'll be honest, I don't know and didn't care to find out, he had testicles the size of basketballs. And so both of them were basketball-sized and hung down to clear the ground by about an inch or two. And so we're taking him to the hospital. And as he starts walking, we can see that there's this pendulum effect with every step that he takes. 
And we can see with every step that he takes that his nutsack is swinging a little bit farther and a little bit bigger until at one point it's just gonna pull him off balance. And he's gonna go crashing to the ground. So we don't want this to happen. So my partner and I line ourselves up on either side of him so that as the nutsack swings, it kind of hits us in the legs. <laughs> but keeps him from falling over. Anyway, so he walks over, he sits down on the stretcher, he kind of sits down, the nutsack is still hanging off the side. It's sort of, you know, again, clearing the ground by about an inch. And as I said, this is a couple years ago, so I'm not new anymore, this is not my first day. Uh, I don't pull the seniority card very often, but I turned to my junior partner that day, and I said, you want to pick that up and deal with that? Anyway, so back to our story here. So we're driving lights and sirens through the city like only a couple of guys can on a mission to save another man's junk. <laughs> I wanna just take a moment to just uh, mention that this call came in as a medium low priority call. <laughs> and at no point was it ever upgraded to be a more serious call. And this is something that I can only attribute to female call takers. <laughs> Because I guarantee you, if a male was on the other end of that phone when they called 911, it would have been treated much more seriously. <laughs> anyway, so there we are blazing around when we get another update. And the update says, patient will meet you at George's Chicken House on Bathurst. <laughs> So my partner and I are having a brief discussion about doing this amputation call in a chicken house. <laughs> when we get another update, dispatch is saying, patient has been advised to stay home and not go to George's chicken house on Bathurst. <laughs> Which we think is sage advice. <laughs> so we are blazing through and we get to his street and we pull up and we, I jump out of the truck and I run around the back and I'm pulling out the stretcher and I can hear a guy walking up the street kind of ranting and raving and yelling and it's the kind of neighborhood where uh, that it takes more than that to draw my attention and I can hear him and he's like, what are you doing? waking up the neighbors with all, all your lights and your sirens and you're making all your noise. And I'm just ignoring him. And I'm pulling the stretcher out when he says something that gets my attention. He says, I told you to meet me at George's chicken house. <laughs> Sir, did you call 911? Yeah. Did you harm yourself this evening? Yeah, I cut off my penis. 
and, and where's that penis now? I flushed it down the toilet, and now my wife will never come back to me. I don't doubt that, sir. <laughs> so I put the stretcher back into the ambulance, and I, and I take him around the side, and we get into the, the back of the ambulance, and now that it's better lighting, now I can see a little better, and I got him standing up. And he's in his late 30s, and he's wearing a t-shirt, he's got sort of scruffy brown hair, and he looks relatively normal, and he's got black jeans on, but I can see they're wet, and I can see they're kind of glistening. And so I say to him, I say, sir, can you just take your pants down? And he says, sure. I mean, just like it's the normalest thing ever. Sure. Takes his pants down. I say, sir, can you, um, and I, and I look at him, and he's got a, he's, he's wearing a pair of tidy whiteies, but they're just like, they're just crimson, they're just red, just the entire things. And I say, sir, can you just take your underwear down? He says, sure. And so he, uh, first though, he, he pulls back the waistband and he reaches in and he pulls out a, a balled up sweat sock and it's just soaked in blood and he drops it on the ground. Then he reaches in and pulls out another. And then he reaches in and pulls out a third. And then he pulls his underwear down. And I'm looking at it. And it's just a big mass of, of congealed blood and pubic hair. And pardon the pun, but I can't make heads or tails of it. <laughs> And I'm kind of looking, and I'm like, sir, can you show me where the end of your penis is? And I immediately regret those words. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, the end of your penis. Because it is the end of his penis. And I'm like, oh, sensitivity training much, Morgan? <laughs> but I say it, I'm like, can you show me the end of your penis? And he's like, sure. And so he lifts up a little nub that was before unseen by me. And as he lifts up this little nub, blood shoots out of it, sprays across the entire ambulance and hits the back doors. My reaction. Put it back down, put it back down, put it back down, put it back down! I'm reaching off the shelf, I'm grabbing pressure dressings, I'm throwing them at him, hold that on him, hold that on him, hold that on him! I go around to the front to, to, my, to my driver, who I notice Brian has never left the driver's seat this entire time. He's just been sitting there the whole time just rocking in one place. And I just turn to him and I'm like, drive, drive, drive! And I'm setting up the stretcher and I'm putting sheets down and I'm putting soaker pads down and I'm getting him to come around and lie down and he seems very kind of surprised by the kerfuffle. He doesn't quite seem to know what all this activity is all about. And I get him lying down and I get him strapped in and wrapped in the sheet and, and now that's all kind of settled and I'm like, so, do you have any heart problems? <laughs> Any breathing problems like asthma? 
Are you diabetic? <laughs> High blood pressure? Stroke? Seizures? Cancer? I ready my pen with a click. Psychiatric or mental illness? <laughs> and he says, well, I get depressed sometimes. I'm like, oh. Do you take any medication for that? And he says, hmm, I used to take Paxil. Have you considered taking it again? <laughs> so we're going off to the hospital. We're on our way there. We get there. Uh, it's been quite uneventful, to be honest. We arrive. There's a, there's a male nurse and there's a female nurse. And we go in and the female nurse uh, turns to him and says, what did you use to cut it off with? And I'll be honest, that question did occur to me, but I didn't ask it. And the reason I didn't ask it is I kind of answered it myself because I just thought to myself, who cares? It's gone. It's gone. But I make a note to myself that that is an important question, and if I do another call for a man separated from his manhood, that I will endeavor to ask that question. And so she asks, what did you use to cut it off with? And he says, a Gillette Mach 3 razor. Which, at the time, I was using a Gillette Mach 3 <laughs> razor. So I'm familiar with the Gillette Mach 3 razor. And it's one of these things where I didn't ask, but of course the question went through my mind because I want to question the very definition of the word safety razor. Because <laughs> I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he modified the blade somehow and then did it with a sideways swishing sort of or the alternative would be that he did it much like a, a vegetable peeler through a carrot and was more like And I don't know, and I probably never will, and the reality is it's probably not that important that I do. Anyway, so he answers a Mach 3 razor, and the male nurse turns to him and says, Mach 3, that's a good razor. And the patient looks back at the male nurse and says, it's a very good razor. <laughs> so many years have gone by now uh, since that call. And I have to say that I'm a much better paramedic now than I was then. Uh, if you ever call 911 and I walk through the doors, don't worry, you'll be fine. But the job does change you, and it doesn't change you in the ways that you probably are thinking. Um, so yes, of course, it does change the fact that I have, uh, I have a very strong ability to ignore other people's pain and suffering. Um, 
or uh, the fact that my colleagues and I can casually talk about rotting bodies while eating breakfast. But one of the things, uh, and this is true, that has changed is uh, since then I have not shaved with a blade. <laughs> Thank you. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back. I met John on South Street at a coffee shop, and it was, it was love at first sight. Who wouldn't fall in love with a guy who looked like a tall Willie Nelson? He had on a motorcycle helmet, there was a BMW K1100 at the curb, and he was reading the New York Times. I mean, that was pretty cool. 
I was, it was wonderful. And, and it was strange because I had already had two failed marriages. The first one because, well, I guess I was just too young. And the second one, well, he kind of liked women. Unfortunately, lots of them, and he was still married to me. So that didn't last. And I had made up my mind by then that this was it. I was never going to fall in love again. I was done. I would never marry again. I might never have sex again. I was sure that it was all over for me. And then I met John. We went on one date, one date. And I gave him the key to my house. And I gave him the key to my heart. And we were inseparable from that moment on. It was, it was wonderful. I had two and a half of the best years of my entire life. I never thought that at my advanced age, because I was older, I was the cougar, not a pedophile. He was only a little bit young. <laughs> he was under 50, I was over, and all of a sudden, life was special again. I did things I never thought I would do again. I mean, sex was like, wow, eat your heart out, Miley Cyrus. I mean, serious. <laughs> it gets better when you get older. Just take my word for it, okay. And I was really a happy person. And he gave me two and a half wonderful, wonderful years. And then something happened. And it was weird and strange and I never thought anything like this could occur, but on his 50th birthday, things started to change. He started to forget things. At first, it was little. He forgot, where's, where's John's water ice? Well, that's only three blocks away. And then he couldn't dial the telephone. He couldn't remember how to dial the telephone, and he couldn't remember how to buckle his belt. And he was an architect. And, and he couldn't remember why the lines started here and ended here. And it was difficult for me to wrap my head around and for him. We had him diagnosed, and he had a, a very strange form of dementia. If you're aware of Alzheimer's, you know that Alzheimer's is this thing back here. It deals with memory of the past. My John had frontal temporal dementia, frontal temporal, okay? He was forgetting the present. He was like a videotape of life that was rolling backwards in time. But it wasn't rolling slowly, it was rolling rapidly. Within the first six months, he lost 10, 20 years of his life. And he started forgetting how to do things, how to, how to do everything. His palate changed. He went from the man who loved gourmet food. He liked pate. He liked pad thai. He liked anything that was wonderful and luscious and exotic. And now he liked peanut butter and jelly, macaroni and cheese, hot dogs, and ice cream. And I couldn't believe that everything was rolling backwards, and it, it seemed to accelerate. What had happened was there were literally holes in his brain 
that were being caused by like a plaque that caused the synapses to separate. So he couldn't get those thoughts together. The electrical charges weren't there. And eventually he even forgot how to speak. And instead of being my love and my husband, he became my little boy and I became mommy. Now, I loved being mommy, okay? Being mommy was the best part of my life up until the time that I met John. So I loved, loved being a mother. And he was the best little boy in the whole world, except he was six foot three. And it was a little difficult to deal with a six foot three inch tall little boy who was frustrated and couldn't always speak and couldn't say what he wanted all the time. But he was my John and he had given me so much in that short period of time that I knew I had to give back to him and I had to take care of him. And that was easy because we had a wonderful time. We drew pictures together. He colored them in and painted them. We just loved life. Except one morning in October, I realized that if I had to watch Finding Nemo one more time, I was going to shoot myself, okay? I couldn't do it. And I thought, what would I do with my kids? Let's see, he must be, he's about seven now, maybe six. Johnny, let's go to the zoo. And by then, he had almost lost his ability to talk, but he remembered a little bit, and, and he kept walking around the house going, zoo, zoo, zoo. And so I knew I made him happy. And by then, he really was my little boy. And I mean, he was in diapers. It was difficult. But I knew I had found something that we could both do. So it was a Wednesday morning. It was in October. It was the middle of the week. And the kids were back at school. This would be a perfect day to go to the zoo. I was really ready for this. This was really important because I was gonna make him happy and I didn't have to watch that damn movie anymore. Okay, so I'm a happy lady now, all right? Life is good and I say, Johnny, let's make sandwiches together. So we make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and he spreads the jelly all over the place and he puts the peanut butter on it and I hold his hand and I say, how do you want to cut them today? Do you want triangles? He goes, no, no. So do you want squares? No. Okay. Fingers, you want four fingers? Yes, fingers. So I held his hand and we cut fingers. And we wrapped each little finger soldier in plastic wrap and we put it in a paper bag. I had drawn a picture of a fish on the paper bag. He liked fish. And he colored it in and I wrote John on it and he was really happy he had his lunch bag. And, and we get to the car and you know, I did what moms do. I helped my little boy man put his seatbelt on and then I talked to him and I said things like, John, when we go to the zoo, don't walk away from me, hold my hand, don't run, and stay with me. And if we get separated, you just stand still because you're so big, I'll find you, okay? Don't go anywhere, just be there. And he was, okay, okay, zoo. And we get close to the zoo and I'm fine, this is great. 
except that as we pull close to the zoo, I realize there are 900 yellow school buses in front of the gate. And there are children pouring out of the school buses. And my John doesn't take sensory input too well. So screaming, yelling children is not what he needed to hear at that particular moment. And I was afraid. And I said, John, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. But it was too late. We couldn't turn around and leave. He had already seen the zoo. And he was out of the car, running across the parking lot. So I put it into the break on. I locked the door. I ran after him. I grabbed his hand. And my little man, big man, dragged me through the gate, through the turnstile. I really was surprised when they didn't charge me for a child. But they charged me for two adults, and we went inside. Now, we get in the zoo, and I look around, and it's too late for me to look around. He's already moving, and his six-foot-three-inch legs are pulling me, and we go to the first animal. And the first animal is a rhinoceros. And there are all these little school children looking at the rhinoceros and pointing and going, ooh, look, he's got five legs. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he did have five legs, sort of. And I'm holding John's hand. And of course, he's way above the other children. And he sees what they're looking at. And he kind of, um, he kind of reaches down and he's looking for his other leg. And I realize that's kind of nice. He remembers he's got one because he had forgotten for a while there. And then I thought, oh no, no, this big man is fondling himself in front of a group of children. This is not good. Okay, John, let's go see the next animal. And so I start dragging him. And we go, and there's a zebra. And there's a group of children around the zebra. And, oh my god, the zebra has five legs. <laughs> and the children are looking at the zebra going, oh, look at that. <gasps> He's peeing through his leg. Oh my God. And the little boys are giggling, and the little girls are giggling, and they're whispering to each other. And I'm holding John's hand, and I realize that he's thinking about this whole fifth leg thing, and his hand goes down to himself again, and he's feeling his manhood, and the children are yelling, and I'm getting a little worried especially when I feel an electrical charge going through my body, coming from his. He's starting to shake a little bit. He's starting to be upset by the kids, and I can feel this electricity going from his body into mine. And I know this is my time to move. We have to get out of there. And so I drag him across the path, and I remember there are giant turtles. And so we head towards the giant turtles, and I'm going, come on, John, we're going to go see the turtles. You love turtles. Turtles are big. And there's this group of kids. They must be five or six or maybe seven. And a young teacher, she can't be more than 25 years old. And they're looking at the turtles. And as we get close, I hear these little voices going, 
Oh, he's going to hurt him. He's going to hurt him. Don't let him climb on top of him, Mrs. Thompson. He's going to hurt him. The big one is too big. He's going to crush the little one. And by then, my John is really getting it. And he's starting to put things together. And those synapses are starting to connect. And I'm holding his hand, and I feel Mount Vesuvius about to erupt. And he starts to shake, and my body shakes. And at the top of his 53-year-old lungs, he yells, no! And everybody jumps back. And the teacher looks at us like, what's going on? And he finishes his sentence. No! He's not hurting him, they're fucking. <laughs> Mrs. Thompson was upset. She looked at me like, why can't you control that man? The children by then were going, did you hear what he said? And I was about ready to bust a gut. I grabbed his hand and I said, Johnny, let's run. And we did. I grabbed his hand and we ran all the way to the other end of the zoo, all the way to the other end, away from these people who were pointing at us now, and I, I caught my breath, and I was laughing and gasping for breath, and Johnny was so proud of himself because he had put together a thought, and he had put together a word, and he might have even put together a memory because we sat on a bench together in this peaceful contentment. We unwrapped each little finger of peanut butter and jelly sandwich, each little soldier, and we nibbled our sandwiches, and we sat there watching the lions, who were doing what else? They were fucking. <laughs> Well, that is all of Funny Stuff number two. You can also find that Kitty Haley story in the Risk book. We had 36 Risk storytellers rework their stories for the page. And don't forget, one of the best ways to support Risk is to share the show with friends and family. And these Funny Stuff episodes are the perfect place to start. And remember, folks, today's the day. Take a risk. episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright chloe blazer for brunch find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com <laughs>